This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jill Sionside. This week, Lesbians Against Drink Driving, the problem with the activist character in speculative fiction. So, so in case this... anyone was wondering, this um, the, the the title is is directly taken from Legally Blonde. It's um it's not a com- it's not a comment on any lesbians who are genuinely against drink driving. Okay, <laughs> if there is an activist group by that name. <laughs> now, uh, this episode is brought to you by Bridgerton. Um. <laughs> Jules as unlikely I, as that seems. As unlikely as that seems. Um, Jules and I have been watching the latest series of Bridgerton, which was released on uh, Netflix recently. And, um, well, I think we both sort of mostly enjoyed it. Uh, there was an element which kind of bothered us both, and we were both rather annoyed by the character of Eloise. Um, And we will go into why exactly a little bit later, but it it sparked this question as to why exactly activist characters are kind of so often mishandled, um, particularly in kind of period dramas and things like that. Um, And, you know, it it was in any any kind of. Yeah, any kind of well, it, in any kind of genre fiction, to be honest. Yeah, it started with period yeah. dramas, and then it kind of sort of went on from that. And it was this, it was this moment where we were both like, oh, a bit annoyed by Eloise, and then and then it kind of spiraled and snowballed um, as our discussions um, are want to. Um, so this is kind of what has inspired this episode. Uh, yeah, this week. So, what do we mean by the activist character? Um, Just to be clear, we're not talking about activist characters set within the narrative which is specifically concerned with addressing and ameliorating injustice of any kind. So, uh, you know, anything that is looking at very specific parts of history or whatever, or current events, we're not having a dig at any of that because that's a narrative that is focused on those issues. Um, What we have a problem with is the token social justice warrior squeezed into stories that are not addressing the issues the character is almost always screaming about, because that apparently is what activism looked like to so many people. Yeah. um, In genres where it just doesn't make sense. And it didn't make sense in Bridgerton. (laughs) No, it it really didn't. Um, And I think the other big problem was, um, which obviously we'll go into uh, sort of further along... Um, is that, as you've said, the whole the kind of the screaming sort of activism, um, but at the cost of also basically every other kind of form of characterization. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, using Bridgerton as an example, the main thrust of the plot is about a fantasy version of Regency England, in mm-hmm. which improbable protagonists overcome daft obstacles and fall in love, which, you know, that it's escapism. That's kind yeah. of what we, we were enjoying about it. Um, It's romance. It's very clearly not supposed to represent real life or the historical time period. Um, The costumes, the dialogue, the casting, the fact that England and France are mysteriously not at war with each other and no one has mentioned Napoleon, and that there is cake in almost every scene. Have you noticed that? Yeah. All of that 
announces that it's a light, frothy and sweet fantasy diversion. You know, it's not meant to be taken too seriously. It's escapism. Yeah. So it just doesn't make sense to then try and wedge in a serious issue like class division and poverty when you clearly don't have the space to address it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this is the other problem is that there's, I think with Bridgerton, and again, we'll talk about this in more detail, it is it is kind of wedged in and then not properly addressed. Yes. Um, which is just very frustrating on a lot of levels. Definitely. So what's actually wrong with activist characters? Um, well, because they are wedged in, they're often the comic relief or a petty antagonist. Um, and their concerns are equally shown to be petty, which is a problem. I think it is a problem because if you've got somebody who is addressing classism or poverty or racism, whatever, or sexism, sexism it seems to be the re a really big one, or certainly was when I was growing up, mm -hmm. um, which I'll get into later. And it's just a case of, oh, it's the loud person. It's the yelling person. It's the person who has no idea how ridiculous they're making themselves. And you find them annoying and you, you disregard them. And therefore you disregard what they're shouting about, which might actually be something legitimate. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this is one of the things that really annoyed me, I think, with uh, Eloise. is I remember there's this one kind of moment where, you know, her brother is clearly going through something quite bad. You know, everyone in the family is sort of worried. And she makes these quips about, well, perhaps she's just figured out that she doesn't want to, you know, etc. And I'm just thinking, um, first of all, I can understand sisters kind of quipping at their brothers, not at this moment, particularly because they're shown to be a close kind of family. Yeah. Um, it's not appropriate. It is not... Um, the tone isn't correct. It shows a complete lack of empathy on her point. And in doing all of this, it frames the question that she's asking as crass and rude um, and doesn't give it the proper sway. There were ways in which you could have had Eloise kind of bringing up this, actually, I'm not sure I want to be part of this kind of particular society, which didn't involve her being essentially a kind of a bit of an antagonistic character um with and and lacking complete tact as well yeah definitely i mean in in terms of yes i can understand an 18 year old girl be who is intelligent feeling very constrained by her circumstances wanting to break out but she was in a supporting subplot type role and you know that her character arc is going to move to the main, the forefront in a future season if they get that many seasons. She yeah. certainly does in a book later on, I believe. And it's just, they made her incredibly unsympathetic despite the fact that she did come out with some of the best lines. Yeah. And it's kind of like you're at the stage where you are rejecting things for the sake of rejecting them, not necessarily just because you've thought it through and you think it's wrong. Um, which kind of brings me on to the thing that really, really annoyed me about it. And that is that activism is actually a privilege. So it's not to say that it's wrong, but if you've got time to spend a lot of energy on it, then you can afford to eat. You have a home, you have heating, you have been able to attain an education, probably you are allowed to speak freely in your country, which, you know, not everybody can. Yeah. Um, certainly you couldn't in Regency England, I'd like to point out, 
but obviously yeah. they weren't going for historical accuracy. But yeah. I have to say that when Eloise turns around and says to Penny that she's, you know, says to Penelope that basically she's like, this, he was one of the best things and he was the only good thing in my life. And I'm like, okay, so we're not counting the huge many stately homes your family owns, the fact that you've never wanted for anything in your life, the 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 clothes the fact that you're educated the fact you're educated you can you yeah you're not basically taking in needlework in order to keep lamps lit and a certain amount of food in your belly and it's like that's what i mean it's that kind of activism that really really bugs me it's a case of i finally found something for me and it is it feeds into this poor little rich girl thing and it was just yeah it 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 did annoy me and again it really annoyed me because she was making very important points about sort of saying okay but what if we want to be something more than just married off what if and and also the real concerns which is i'm not like my sister um and now everyone's kind of looking at me like i should be like my sister you know um these were all legitimate concerns these were all real things which could have you know actually been done i think in a much better way and the problem was that because eloise was kind of portrayed as lacking any kind of tact which again she's 18 i appreciate that there's going to be a level of kind of self-involvement there um that's not but that wasn't the issue she just it just didn't feel realistic at all and it belittled what she was saying it did and i think the other thing was she's actually come from a family that's happy she's had two parents who were in love and yeah okay that's brought its own share of problems with it as well yeah um without going into details now but um generally they she all her siblings and everyone they get on with each other apart yeah. from typical family squabbles and things they're immensely lucky and privileged and then you add in this idea <laughs> It's like, yes, you're supposed to be the clever one in the family. If you're that fucking clever, you're clever enough to know what what your actions will do to your family standing. It's incredibly yeah. selfish to act the way you do, knowing that you're actually going to be affecting your family because you're not changing society by sneaking off and speaking to somebody of, you know, being seen unchaperoned with a, a, a man from a, a lower class. Yeah. So, you're not thinking. The other thing is that the time at the ball where she was dancing with someone her mother thought might be intelligent enough for her kind of thing. Yeah. And she's just rude to him. If you're actually that clever, then you are clever enough to insult him or to make him think without him realising he's being insulted. Yeah. I'm sorry, but you are. I, I absolutely could have done that at 18, even in this day and age. So she's supposed to be that clever. Yeah, and the other thing was that he was, you know, she was just being purposefully provocative. Yeah. And it didn't feel like... Because, I don't know, in that situation, I think I would have almost just been relieved that I was talking to somebody at this ball who, you know, I was expecting to find lots of people who were just waiting for me to be like my sister. And then there's here someone who is kind of saying other things as well. Um and the thing is, she could have challenged some of the things he said without just being massively rude, you know? She could. It's like, I don't feel that they're, they're cutting new ground here um, with the character because Jane Austen has done all of this already. She's managed characters who are clever enough to do this and yet never, ever 
breach social custom or reflect badly on anybody else. Yeah. And it was okay. It would, I think it would have been okay if Eloise had breached social custom a couple of times yes. as an 18 year old. But the problem is that it was just, it was consistent. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of surprised her mother didn't just say, all right, we're just going to tuck you away uh, because honestly, you're going to actually bring massive problems to our family at this point, uh, which is what she was going to do. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, or, or or even you know what? If you want to live off the merits of your intelligence, off you go, go and be a governess. Yeah, <laughs> which is like the only option open to her. Um, or go and live with your poorer relatives and see how you enjoy that. Which again is something that I don't know. And I'm I'm not expecting Julia Quinn's work, and certainly not Julia Quinn's work, hacked about for television fantasy purposes mm. to stand up to Jane Austen. Why should it? But at the same time, it's it was such a glaring thing that it was so annoying. Yeah. And I think it, it taps into this thing where you have the activist character and activism is their hobby, which, again, is hugely privileged and it really, really gets on my nerves. Yeah. And I think the, the big issue with it is that um, you could actually have a really interesting kind of dialogue where it is her hobby and then suddenly she's kind of made to sort of wake up to that. Yeah. Um, and it's a conversation about privilege um, and, you know, other things like that and being a teenager and sort of rebelling and stuff like that. You could have totally had that. And who knows, maybe they will pull a 180 in the next series. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that that is not what's happening that's not what the series is for that's not why why she's been written in the way that she's been written um this is very much a kind of a sort of a meeting a quota and we want to have this kind of edgy sort of character um so it's done you know unironically um and it, it feels very wedged in, it feels very tacked on, um, and it's kind of a little bit insulting. And I should also say that there is no hate for me here for the actress who plays Eloise. I think the actress does a fantastic job. Yeah, she does. She's great. She's a great actress, um, but the role, it feels very forced and doesn't have the kind of level of forethought that I think is required. I think the other thing was, it was... I. Eloise in the first season had an endearing awkwardness about her, as in she genuinely was somebody who, yes, she disdained the whole social scene and the fact that it was basically a meat market for people getting married. But yeah. there was part of her that would have liked someone to understand her. She wasn't so dead set against it in that respect. Yeah. And she, you know, she tripped herself. She was socially awkward. And there was something endearing about that. I think losing that has made her kind of more sharp-edged and less likeable yeah as a complete sidebar um anyway going back to the activist character it's the lack of understanding so quite often you have an activist character who does not share the plight of the people they are protesting for yeah and they're either drowning out those voices or they are because of their their activism hobby and you see this on the internet obviously and in real life um well, they just don't understand the situation. It's like she's, she's talking. She's. I was really cringing sometimes when she was talking to Theo because she was talking like they were the same class, and you can see he's very much aware that there's a class distinction there, and that she's got no idea what she's talking about when it comes to money. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, yeah, it, it was just kind of a little bit, I just did not believe her relationship with Theo at all. No. Um, I liked the idea of it, which is, you know, they've connected because he's writing this kind of, this stuff and, but it was also the thing that she goes in, you know, looking for sort of feminist stuff. Yeah. Um, and then she's found this other stuff and there's no kind of evolution from what, you know... There's, there's no sort of waking up moment, is yeah. there? And I do get... I, I absolutely understand that when someone who is railing against a constriction in their own life then discovers that, you know, other people have got it, got it worse and may genuinely be going down that path of, oh, God, I didn't see all this before. I get it now. They swing too far and start, you know, sort of uh, denigrating everything, everything to do with the opposite side rather than listening to all viewpoints that's that's part of the pendulum swinging one way then the other and then rebalancing hopefully yeah. but yeah you're right there was no evolution of ideas here it was just kind of like oh i've read a bit of wollstonecraft and without necessarily even knowing anything about her yeah i don't know i, I don't know it just um it feels a little bit odd and it felt yeah. forced and all i could think of is Look, Bridgerton series, if you wanted to actually do something which was, you know, address the kind of the the issues, um, you can actually do this because you're, cr you're writing a little fantasy story. You could have a fantasy, you know, you could find a way for Eloise while still maintaining, obviously, the the very, you know, the drama, the, 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 there needs to be a certain level of sexism because otherwise there wouldn't be the drama that, that's being created, you know, oh, two people caught together alone, oh, you know, gracious um you know so they needed to maintain they need to maintain that but it's still a fantasy they could find other ways um of actually sort of saying okay let's make this less sexist or let's consider this in another way and it it, it just wasn't done that way they just had Eloise and I just found it annoying I think they've happened strung themselves for when it becomes Eloise's arc as well though because yeah if she then you know, goes down the romantic falling in love route and probably with someone of her own social class because I'm not sure how they're going to make it work otherwise, um, then there's going to be a lot of... They're going to have to, to step quite lively in order to sell it after having her do all of this type stuff. Yeah. To make it a believable romance where it's two people who largely share values, which... I don't know. It, it to me, it's coming across like it's a phase. Yeah. I, yeah. I honestly, I don't know how they're quite going to do it. So, um, anyway, let, let's move on. Um. <laughs> yeah. So it, yeah, it's the idea that activist characters are ridiculous. Ergo, their concerns are ridiculous and dismissible. That they are ineffective and delusional. And you know, you see this particularly in sort of romantic comedies and things where yeah. you'll have random activist type character and they're portrayed as pretty much being a nut job. Yeah, it's, you know, and you see it in other cases like, a, oh, you know, oh yeah, we fight for Greenpeace, yeah, and they're just all, you know, they're just seen as total stoners or, you know, stuff like that. And, um, and you think, why have you because you're immediately you're making them caricatures you're making them comedy characters and you can say no this is a really important issue um but how are you actually representing that issue then and this is not me saying oh 
you know, derailing what people are, are genuinely like or anything like that at all. It's not about that. It's about very purposeful portrayals in fiction. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I think, um, it, as we've said with the title, part of the problem is, as we've... Ah, oh, lost the train of my thought there. Okay, and no, it's back. It's back. Okay. Um, <laughs> is that it's poor representation in the sense of you you either don't give the people who've genuinely got the concern and suffer under those issues a voice or if yeah. you do you portray them as being quiet and reasonable as in they're the reasonable version whereas mm. you've got the loud unreasonable shouty issues person who's kind of treating it as a hobby obviously not being the person you should listen to but it's yeah. okay so it's kind of like um, you either have the worthy heterosexual character shouting for gay rights, but the the good gays are the ones who are quiet, which I think is a really damaging thing to... It really is. It's like, a yeah, um, if you're being too noisy about it, you're not... That's not right. Whereas these very... The quiet ones, um, that's the way that it should be. This is the real way. And it's just they're like... Yeah. Yeah. We've got a problem there. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, And... There's the elitism, classism angle as well. So there are so many people who, because of specific privilege within their own lives, have the time to do this. Mm. And it's their hobby. It's their interest. They're, they're, perhaps they're even enjoying the cachet and the virtue signalling angle because it has become very fashionable, hasn't it? Yes, it, it um, has. The huge Twitter followings are built in just this way. And it's excluding the people who might have something to add from a genuine perspective of of being a voice of somebody who is under that restriction. And it might, what I really hate about it is those people, the ones who are doing the shouting in a hobby type fashion, Mm -hmm. um, quite often shout down people who are part of this group or whichever group that they're supposed to be uh, supporting who disagree with the party line. Yeah. And that really does bother me because that's saying, well, you can only be black if you hold these particular ideas, which, by the way, I'm shouting about and I'm not black. Or you can only be gay if or trans or whatever. And it's not actually someone who is part of part of those groups who is doing the shouting. Um, But why are they setting the party line and why are people who disagree with them being shouted down? Because you know what? Their opinion is just as valid. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's one of those very dangerous things as well, which is um, particularly within sort of small groups, having the us and them mentality mentality within people within your own groups. Yeah. um, That's not... That's actually the, you know, (laughs) the style of um, kind of, not the conqueror, but as in like people trying to get uh, sort of movements to fail work in by getting people to sort of be divided among themselves so yeah i i just i get very suspicious whenever i see people saying if you're not doing it like this then you're a you know i see people using the words like class traitor or stuff like that or self-hating black person yeah exactly and you just think self-hating gay and it's like no this is someone who is gay who happens to hold more conservative values newsflash a great many conservative values well i am not a conservative and i don't support conservative values in general but a lot of conservative values are actually compatible with liberal values it's a venn diagram with a lot of overlap and you can probably work out the rest 
Yeah, I did see a fantastic sort of comedy sketch, which was just someone, had, I think it was SNL, but I can't remember, uh, where they just had this whole thing where it's just a, you know, a, a liberal um, and a, you know, alt-right um, person. And there's just a, like, you know, we, we really hated each other. And then we got talking and we realised we have so much in common um and and you, they sort of start going through it all and you're like oh my god <laughs> it's true <laughs> when you word it like that they they absolutely are they're just coming from different sides but actually they seem to be totally agreeing on so many things yeah it's the horseshoe of political alignment isn't it which it you is. know it's obviously not an absolutely sound model but it no uh, if you go too, f- yeah, it's the Eddie Izzard circle. If you go too far in one direction, you're going to meet yourself on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think <laughs> that definitely plays into uh, kind of this trope. Oh yeah, and and the other thing is obviously that you know throwing in a random token activist character derails the story because that's not the story you're telling. Yeah, unless so- you want to tell a story about sort of activism, in which case, fantastic. Write right. that story. <laughs> yeah, write that story. That is not what Bridgerton is about. No one has gone into Bridgerton saying, I'm here for activism. I'm like, here because I want to learn about women's rights in the rights. 1800s. Yeah, because it's entirely fantastical. <laughs> and also, you wouldn't go for Regency romance to learn that anyway, would you? Because no, you notoriously really sexist time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Anyway, right. Um, Brief segue into the insidious urge. Um, One of my favourite memes ever is is basically a Tolkien meme. And it's, um, ah, the signal fires have been lit. Gondor calls for aid. And it's like, (laughs) Rohan hears them. And then it's the Theoden with the Gondor flag sort of superimposed over his face. It's like, (laughs) we're thinking of you, Gondor. (laughs) Yes. Um, so yeah it's basically you know something terrible happens and you want to identify with the wronged party so you change your facebook profile picture yeah in and of itself this isn't wrong but it does fuck all to help people who actually need it and you if you're not taking any other action then what you're doing is low level virtue signaling because you want to identify with the wrong party and say i support them Mm. but what else are you doing are you doing the boring stuff like signing petitions and and going behind the scenes and finding out as much as you can about it so you're informed on the issue yeah are you sort of how are you voting how are you you know (laughs) and again this is that the whole privilege of activism thing is that there are like okay let's talk about like what's happening in in sort of russia and ukraine at the moment um there are lots of people in russia right now who are totally against the war yeah and if they say anything of that, they can be put into jail for 10 years. Yeah. And there seems to be an implication, and perhaps I'm reading this wrong, but there's this implication which is you go to jail for 10 years, you disappear, if that makes sense. There is an implication. There was the... I mean, Putin was obviously arranging for um, internet access to be very like internet access is in China, by the way. Mm-hmm right now whereby people could not access certain things um newsflash people we cannot get access to absolutely everything in the uk even yeah um 
if you want to do that, you have to do some some pretty fancy dancing um, and possibly go through some channels which are not entirely legal in order to get access to all information. But we've yeah. got it better than, say, Russia has. We've definitely got it better than China has. Mm. Um, and they were making sure that the news was not getting to the people in Russia because guess what? They're not all supporting this. No. It's probably quite a small group who actually agree with this war, with this very illegal war. Yeah. Um, and it's just... Yeah, uh, Madeline's not wrong. And there was a woman who burst onto the news uh, in Russia who basically came on with a banner and shouted out about what was actually happening. And she disappeared, but because it was so well publicised, she emerged again because yeah. it would look really, really bad if she just completely disappeared. Yeah. But there are many places in the world where you cannot just express your opinion. You no. can't do it. You can't criticise your government. We're incredibly privileged to be able to criticise our government. We are. Um, and this is what freedom of speech actually means. Um, and you really kind of start to understand <laughs> um, the implications of, of what of what this means in other places and also the privilege that we do have. I mean, we lived in Syria when I was younger. Um, I loved living in Syria. It's a beautiful place. Um, and my heart breaks whenever I think about what um, the people of Syria have had to go through um, and the reception that they have received from other people in the world, particularly in the UK, um, you know, with when they came looking for aid, um, you know, this is a huge, huge issue for me. It's something that I care about very deeply. Um, but when we were living in Syria, <laughs> our phone calls were so obviously recorded, it was actually hilarious. And our, our home was definitely bugged. Yeah. So, like, not only we knew that our phone calls were... Like, they weren't even pretending. My mother <laughs> was on the phone one day um to her parents and right in the middle of the call she got cut off and a person came in and said hi okay so our translator is going home so you're <laughs> gonna need to switch to english now uh because we we need to understand what you're saying <laughs> and she was like i, I can't switch to english M my parents only speak french and they went oh and so they just cut off the phone yeah. And that was that. There was no, you know, she didn't get to say goodbye to her parents or anything like that. They just went, okay, and they just cut off the phone and that was that. And we also knew is that if my parents were discussing anything in the house, um, with the company, there was a company driver, essentially. Yeah. This is a fairly standard thing. So there was a company driver um, who kind of worked for my dad as part of the company. And the company driver, really lovely, wonderful man, um, he was kind of sent as a spy at the same time. So what would happen is that uh, <laughs> my parents would be talking about something over dinner um, and then the next day the company driver, you know, as the, and I'm not going to give his name, um, but they'd be, they'd be in the car and he'd just happen, happen to bring up the subject that they were talking about the night before um, to just gently correct them on certain things. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. It's not subtle, is it? But it's not subtle. Um, it's a, a, a and I'm and I'm just thinking about. Oh my god, I'm so glad that when I was living there, I was a child because 
That's actually really scary. Like, I'm laughing about it now, but I'm low-key horrified and terrified yeah. by all of this. Yeah, I don't think people really can quite get their heads around the fact that, yes, it, it's an amazing privilege to just be able to complain. And if you yes. were looking at Regency England, if you directly complained about the royalty, the government or the church, you could be imprisoned and that would be it. You would be in prison. And it didn't matter if you were male or female. They would just imprison you. Yeah. You had to have an incredibly powerful family to in, in, in order not to end up in prison. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, as we've said before, this is why Jane Austen wrote romances which were heavily coded criticisms of the church and the royalty it was also the reason why she didn't put her own name on her manuscripts yeah it wasn't just because she was being all reticent and ladylike no it was a let's not advertise the fact that you are actually criticizing slavery for example yeah so so yeah i it, it bugs me when people can't seem to get their head around that the other thing is, real activism is not about shouting and banners and marching in the street. That's such a tiny proportion of it. That's yes. the raising awareness area. The real work um, comes not from arguing on the internet and not from, you know, bullying other people on Twitter or gaining followers and having a post go viral. And it's mm. definitely not about salving your conscience while actually doing very little. It's the unglamorous and boring slog as you write to your MP as you read books and make sure you're well informed, as you consider everybody's viewpoint and you mm. constantly question your own. It's about doing your due diligence to ensure that money you donate is actually going to help the people you want to help, not just going, oh, well, they've got a catchy slogan, they must be the right guys, sending yeah. them money and then realising that actually that's not actually going to help anybody in that particular community. What that's doing is funding a political campaign for their own agenda. Yes. Um, and it is also one of the it's it, for instance, there was this kind of this thing with kind of Ukraine at the moment, for example, where people have been sort of I hate to use the word simping, but people have been sort of getting really kind of uh, like, I don't even know if it's fake or what um, kind of about some of the sort of the politicians um, in Ukraine. Like, a, oh, you know, he's a hero and, um, you know, like people have even sort of been making sort of sexual kind of things. Yeah. And, I, and I'm just there like, OK, but have you listened to the to their policies? Um, yeah. What, you know, what about the rest of what they stand for? What about what they are actually doing for everything else? You cannot just again, it's this weird thing of like you cannot treat this like it's an aesthetic yeah you know this, because this, this these, is not these fantasy. are people's lives <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely so yeah okay uh, uh, as an example um that has been fictionalized quite well there's a series called mrs america which i believe is still on amazon prime and mm -hmm. this looks at the women's rights movement in america during the 60s and obviously mm -hmm. you had um gloria gaynor who was a massive influencer and mm. her works are still worth reading now even though people say oh she's not really feminist enough anymore and it's like the reason you get to do a lot of the things that you get to do mm. is because she and the women who worked with her put in the time and effort 
on the other hand of the scale, there is a politician's wife who's played very well by Kate Blanchett. Yeah. Who absolutely did not want um, this women's rights movement to be successful and set about deliberately trying to scupper it. Not because she actually disagreed with them, but because her version of being exceptional and being, you know, a senator's wife and going into politics herself involved putting other women down and keeping them in their place. She was very much doing a power grab. And it's that thing of why did the witch trials happen? And I don't mean Salem necessarily, although you can include that, but Mm -hmm. the much more brutal European witch trials. Well, they couldn't have happened if you didn't have women also accusing other women. Yes. What I'm saying is the reason the women's rights movement kind of got scuppered or didn't get as far as it did in getting political bills and things changed because there were women on the other side working to ensure it didn't happen. Yes. Weirdly, the men probably didn't really give much of a shit. It just hadn't occurred to them that the way the world was set up might actually benefit them better if women could take an equal share of work and responsibility. Very few men were actually sexist or misogynistic enough to care about that. It's just they hadn't ever questioned anything. It was women clawing other women out of the way to get what they wanted. It disturbs me that people don't dig down on issues like this and find out what really happened so that we don't fucking do it again. Yes. Um, And again, it's this... It's the fact that there is no easy answer. Everything is multifaceted. Yeah. And I think one of the big reasons as well that activism being demonstrated in fiction in the way that it currently is is that it portrays it like there's one simple answer um, and there's one right answer. And look, there are definitely things in life where we can say without a doubt, yes, this is bad or this is good. For example, slavery. We really shouldn't need to think about this. Slavery is not a good thing. Definitely not. (laughs) On any level. That's not a debatable thing. But there are other things where we actually have to consider... Um, not necessarily the morality of an action, but why people might do it or why people might struggle to kind of change. Um, And this isn't me saying, oh, therefore racism is okay. I'm not saying that in the least. There's no situation where racism is acceptable. Um, But there's so much more nuance to other subjects. There's so much more nuance to why people behave in the way that they behave or believe that things that they believe um and sometimes you might suddenly find that it's not actually everyone's a victim um in different situations you know it's just so much more complicated and if we just pretend like there's always going to be a simple answer to it we actually start to create extremism um which is equally as dangerous. Definitely. Um, it's it's understanding how pieces come together. You can't say um, slavery happened because the Western world was racist, even though by our standards we consider it racist. That's not yeah. the order of things. What happened was that there's never been a period in history where everybody has said, yeah, slavery's fine. There's never been a period where that's happened. Um, but the industrial almost scale of uh, transatlantic chattel slavery Mm -hmm. Um, racism was created to justify that because people wanted the workers 
that yeah. very specific type of racism. I mean, before that, I suppose you could argue it was kind of xenophobia. Then again, yeah. 200 years before that, one million white Europeans were shipped out of Europe to build um, Muslim power palaces and things. Um, and again, they created a form of racism to justify that, the fact that they wanted these exotics in there. So, yeah, it it's really important to learn everything and not to just disregard the bits of history you don't like that don't fit with the narrative that you want to hold. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I could go on for ages about that, but I promised myself I wouldn't rant too much. So <laughs> basically, back to this point, the insidious point, if all you're doing is changing your Facebook picture, then what you care about is not change. It's how you're perceived. You are borrowing the aesthetic. Yeah. Um, which I think is very much the case of what's happening with some of these activist characters. They are borrowing an aesthetic um, and they're not actually making any kinds of change or actually making a legitimate kind of viewpoint. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's there for the kudos. And that's the thing that really annoys me. I feel like Eloise was put in there so that people could be like, yeah, um, rather than it actually addressing or helping anything or actually raising any proper valid points in a way that is meaningful. Or even just admitting, you know what, people who are looking for a more feminist narrative aren't the target audience of Bridgerton. No. <laughs> just admit what you are. <laughs> but I also, I also feel like there are going to be people who are going to sort of say... Um, that if I disagree with Eloise, if I find Eloise annoying as a character, I am therefore betraying the feminist movement. Yeah. Um, and I feel that. And I, I, I genuinely feel like, I don't know, I don't know whether other people, there are people who legitimately have just said, no, we really like her as a character. And that's fine. I have nothing against people who do like it. But I, I am gen genuinely worried that there are going to be people who, you know, say to me, okay, well, you clearly, you know, you clearly don't, you're not a feminist or, or, you know, stuff like that, which is not the case. I'm allowed to dislike a character um, based on how she's written um, and it not be an indication of my own personal philosophies and feelings regarding a topic. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, Madeline and I are hardly going to be like, yeah, <laughs> women voting this is appalling this is a terrible <laughs> idea i mean we're like about a century and more too late for that anyway but um but you know in the time there were women who did genuinely think that and you can't put all of that down to you know them being conditioned by men some of it was fear of change some of it was genuine sort of actually i'm in a position of power and this weakens my power yeah or what have you or some of it was genuine just self-involvement or selfishness yeah. And we do, you know, we also have to acknowledge that with every kind of movement, um, you know, for, for instance, like a lot of the sort of the suffragette movement was also quite racist, uh, you know, in that, yes, we want power um, because and or rather we want the vote because you're actually going to allow these other people, these foreigners to have the vote. Um, and really, you'll give sort of these foreign men votes, but not um, us British women, you know, other things like that. But also it was classist as well. Yeah. Um, a lot of these kinds of... Th so it's not simple. 
Um, it, it absolutely isn't. And every single organisation will attract people who are literally only in it for their own ends. They're advancing their own agenda. Yeah. Um, you can't completely get rid of that. You can only try and trade in good faith yourself. Yes. Let's look at some examples of how not to do an activist character. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Um, obviously, from the title, we mentioned that basically a quote from Legally Blonde. Uh, yeah. I actually quite enjoy that film. I think it's a fun and frothy way of looking at how you can be a, a, a very girly girl and yet, you know, not despise things like intelligence and integrity and friendship. And it's mm. fun. It, there's nothing wrong with it just being fun. I do have a problem with the way Enid, the uh, obvious lesbian character, in that is portrayed because she is portrayed as tiresome and you know she's a one of the vocal lesbians rather than the good lesbians who are quiet and accept the fact that everyone you know it you know she's one of the ones who are making a them and us kind of thing and with things like oh yeah i'm part of this group lesbians against drink driving well actually those two things are not something you would necessarily wedge together surely everyone should be against drink driving anyway so <laughs> that makes it sound like she's being exclusionary with her activism there but also you've picked yeah. you've picked really low-hanging fruit there it's not lesbians against camp lesbians against uh, campus sexual harassment or something yeah um or you, you know that there are bit there are bigger issues this is a case of someone who wants to be seen to be an activist rather than someone who actually wants to make elicit real change yeah and like the thing is that they could have actually made it you know there's there's a way that this could have all actually been a thing which is like a yes well my you know i lost someone to drink driving and this is a very important movement to me um but you know they wouldn't actually let me uh kind of or or you know link it in to other things like for example you had sort of the pride pride and the miners sort of joining together during certain periods yeah um and this was actually you know a lot to do with you know this group of people about minority groups coming together you know yeah so there was kind of a reason for it but there's just you don't get that it is played off as a joke and i think that's the other thing is that it's meant to be seen as a joke um it's not meant to be seen as something which is being taken seriously which devalues everything definitely there's a nudge of yeah we all know one like that don't we ha ha yeah kind of thing um lily moskovitz in the princess diaries again princess diaries fun frothy um not necessarily my sort of thing but you know entertaining enough and Mm. the the outcast best friend who kind of makes a thing of being an outcast um is also an activist in an ineffective way and she's very she's not much of a friend because when Mia finally finds out she's a princess and gets a makeover they were kind of like they they ruined you you should sue she's not supportive at all even though Mia's being handed this huge responsibility yeah and it's kind of like well how dare you enjoy being pretty how dare you enjoy some of the things that are coming your way and yes, yeah. okay, later on she said, oh, well, I was jealous and I was worried I was losing my best friend. But at the same time, again, she's kind of played off as really irritating. Yeah, and again, I can sort of understand, and this is one of the interesting things, obviously, about the fact that in the original book, they're, ch- they're quite young, you know? Yeah. And so you can kind of understand it. 
but obviously in the series they're played by people who are older, which I think kind of does sort of affect the way that we sort of read and understand it. So you can totally understand a, a young sort of a young woman, a young girl kind of actually reacting this way because they are jealous and they do feel, you know, oh, but I had this, you know, this is something that we shared and now I feel even more alone because I don't fit into this and I'm not conventionally pretty and I felt secure because I had someone else who was like that and now that's been taken from me. Yeah. Um, you can understand that. Um, but again, it, it really does depend on how it, it's it's done. And I know a lot of people who find the character to be quite iconic um, in certain ways, but I do agree that there is this I don't know, It the whole thing is kind of complicated, really, for me. Yeah. Uh, again, it's one of those, I don't think the way they've done it in the film certainly fits mm. with the genre, I guess. And so she sort of sticks out like a sore thumb and we're supposed to kind of be giving her side eye and saying, hmm, you're, you're just annoying kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I... I have to say, when you look at Hermione Granger doing her spew campaign, oh, it's, yeah. it's very in character for her because Hermione has yeah, always had this very rigid look at uh, viewpoint of rules and regulations and things and this very strong moral compass. Mm. But it's an absolutely perfect illustration of someone not understanding the people they're campaigning for. Yeah. And not listening to the people they're campaigning for, literally just saying, well, you're brainwashed. Yeah. I mean, um, I think, I genuinely think the character's heart is in the right place. Yes. Um, the, you know, the, there's no meanness in her. It's just she's absolutely certain. She's just absolutely certain she's in the right. And that is a flaw in its own right. Being so certain you're right, you're not willing to listen to anyone else's viewpoint. Yeah. And it, this is one of the interesting things, because I think that, within the sort of the narrative that is shown she's shown to be annoying in that way yeah um and it's shown to not actually be correct but at the same time i don't know the that whole storyline within within the book really kind of it got it got to me because i felt like i wanted to have an answer to this but there was no clear answer to this yeah you know there was no simple answer to this and then it's kind of just left there and and i don't know it was very complicated for a children's book and then in a way that sort of didn't go anywhere and in, in a way that just sort of addressed sometimes these things are are complicated sometimes you know we didn't even get that it was just kind of petered out and it, it that unnerved me and i didn't like it yeah i mean i think it's kind of touched upon when you get a bit further into the series and they're talking about humanoid-ish creatures and how you know wizards are supreme and it it starts looking at that sort of thing yeah um but yeah it, it's not comfortable and you're right it is an odd thing to put into a children's book in that respect i'm not disagreeing with it i think mm. looking at some of the more uncomfortable things is is handy because at least you've got a reference point when you're looking back as an adult but yeah, but yeah, it it is a case of I don't think it was necessarily done badly, but I almost wish it wasn't there, even though it does kind of make sense. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, 
I just I don't know how to handle it to be honest um, and I just feel like something's missing um, and I don't know whether that something is missing the, the thing that's missing is in me or whether I, I'm just uncomfortable with the fact that it's an uncomfortable subject or what yeah. I don't know um, but the fact that it feels so ambiguous as to kind of not have any sort of conclusion um makes it rather uncomfortable because it's also a situation whereby we have a we have creatures right we have these fairies and the problem is that we start to apply human logic to it yeah and on a human level we're kind of with hermione we're kind of like okay is this a brainwashing thing um and then but the other thing is that then we have then to say is it not a brainwashing thing is this a general genuine culture thing for them is this something which actually really genuinely matters to them um you know and is it you know <laughs> the problem with using it as a metaphor for um you know you can't just barge into someone else's culture is that at the end of the day you're still talking about slavery um which is which is an actual issue in life and i just i don't know i really don't like it yeah see, I, th I think maybe that was the point was it wasn't supposed to be a metaphor for slavery at all it was a case of this is the, you're calling it slavery when actually it isn't which was what hermione was doing but anyway yeah you could go around in circles i think the point is you're not supposed to feel comfortable with it no. from either angle no um okay one that reaching back into the mists of time here let's let's let me take you back 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 to 1995 <laughs> or slightly oh. earlier back through the mist of time and madeline was about three years old <laughs> um but basically this was saved by the bell the original sort of 90 late 1980s early 1990s um program that was on sort of on a saturday morning was something that i wouldn't say i watched religiously but it was entertaining enough yeah and it's basically about six high school friends during their sort of their later years in high school and it's just silly it's played off as a comedy and there is a character called jesse who is tall and extremely attractive and sort of very much a rah-rah feminist type character whereas yeah. the other two girls are kind of like yeah i, I want to be i want to be cute and I'm, I'm much more interested in sort of boys liking me etc and yeah. she again is played off as irritating now, I won't say that this character is responsible for my entire attitude towards, and not just mine either. I've spoken to many people, of, my, of, of friends and things, who um, grew up with the same sort of cultural touchstones as me, who have said, yeah, back in the late 80s and early 90s, we were reaping the whirlwind of, of as we've just said, of this not failed, but sort of, half crash landed feminist movement from a couple of decades before whereby you did not want to identify as feminist you didn't yeah. because it had been successfully linked with being unfeminine with being undesirable with you being annoying yeah and you know all the way up into university it was still kind of a you don't ident you might genuinely say something sexist something's misogynist you, you would speak out and you'd fight for your rights etc but you did it in the way of the ladette if you like yeah 
and you you just didn't say you were feminist you didn't because it just it wasn't even a case of oh you'll get bullied or anything it's just you'll be a thing of pity a thing of scorn and I know it's not just me who because speaking to as I say my sisters and um, various other people it was like yeah you're right it was it it was not in that's yeah. the only way to describe it it was not in and this this is like the prime example of feminism being very not in because of these things having as i've said kind of skidded to a halt yeah absolutely and the real issue i think with this um and the way that it was kind of make into made into a sort of a jokey thing um is that to this day we will see elements of that and it starts to disguise very other serious issues like for example um i remember seeing a picture of it was a feminist march um and you saw a man basically who was looking very pleased with himself while still looking sort of hands raised like oh no um and a whole bunch of women had ho- had grabbed hold of him and they were clearly yelling yeah and someone had sort of made a joke which was just uh, uh this is what happens uh if you know when you um sort of say something during a feminist march and the way that it was kind of the whole way that it was portrayed was that he had clearly just been he was a troll he was kind of had just been messing around and these women had like gone at him like dogs essentially that's sort of the way that it was portrayed um that's the kind of the joking angle that was put forward the reality of what had happened in this situation was that this was a this was a feminist walk um but in particular actually it was a uh, a walk which was sort of organized by i think a, a sort of a feminist group uh to discuss uh sexual harassment and sexual abuse um it was a family friendly affair so there were younger people who were involved there were sort of children about and stuff like that and this man had come forward um, with this, uh, with the sole purpose of doing this, knowing exactly what it was, and he had exposed himself yeah. to a group of people who were marching against sexual abuse um, and sexual misconduct. And he had knowingly basically just sort of uh, exposed himself and flashed them. And again, young children were present at stuff. And these women rushed forward to sort of grab him and shove him out of the way. Um, and instead of that being addressed as a man committed a crime, yeah, um, and he was not just commit, he wasn't just being a troll. He was committing very purposefully a- an act to kind of really kind of show them their place to put down their movement etc it was put as ha ha look at these feminists um they don't know how to take a joke they don't know how to chill um and that's how it was presented and that is and and this is because we would just automatically accept that narrative we wouldn't look into it um and thus this was allowed to kind of trend on the internet perpetuating um this idea and 
taking away from the importance of the issue and that's when it becomes really dangerous yeah definitely so yeah i mean we've always said be responsible with your fiction and it doesn't mean you can't write whatever you want to write really yeah but when we say be mindful of why you've written something this is the kind of thing we're getting at because yes either everything's funny or nothing's funny but within that there are degrees of responsibility Yes, absolutely. Um, and, I, you know, I do genuinely believe that, that writers of the era who were creating these characters, they weren't necessarily doing it maliciously. No, I don't believe that at all. It was supposed to be a light, entertaining thing for kids on a Saturday morning. And yeah. it was. But you can't help also imbibing something that is supporting a general um, state of approval or disapproval of the time, which is obviously yeah. what happened with me and many of my friends. Yeah. And it's funny because I think we're becoming a lot more conscious of it um, in that, for example, they actually play into this on things like um, community. Now, I don't watch community, but I know about it, as it were. Yeah. And obviously one of the characters is kind of portrayed and this sort of starts to play into kind of some of the difficulties they face as being this very sort of privileged uh, white feminist sort of um yeah activist where actually um <laughs> she's not actually necessarily conscious of or thinking about what you know or speaking to actual people um and there is that line which is that like you know i can draw the line at racism but uh you're sort of like a, i can accept race racism but i draw the line at um at sort of animal abuse yeah and the black woman sort of turns around and the group just goes you can accept racism <laughs> yeah and it is it's that kind of um you know the way they're poking fun at actually yes we can have this annoying activist character um because to be honest we've met those people um and they're like that because mo most of the time it's either actually out of they genuinely you know they mean well but they've not actually you know they're only just starting yeah and they're they, taking cues from things or they haven't or, got over their own self-involvement yeah exactly which to be honest i think that a large part of that is that that's also the process of what happens when you're a young you know a young person you're at university that's kind of just going to happen anyway so, you know, I think you do see that a lot in universities because that's just the way that people operate at universities because they're young people. And hopefully as they get older, they start to kind of become a little bit more aware, which I think you definitely do see as well. So definitely. I think there's lots of elements that kind of play into where this sort of archetype comes from. Um, but yeah, um, it, it's why you've kind of got to be conscious about sort of what you're writing and why you're writing it. If you're trying to portray a character as being genuinely right, consider how you are portraying them, whether you are playing into stereotypes and also whether in adverse you're actually doing the opposite and sort of saying, yeah, I'm going to have this annoying character who is like that. And then I'm going to have someone who's actually genuinely thinking about the issue but they're going to be quiet about it they're yeah. going to be you know they're going to be working within the think about also what you're saying with that there's no not necessarily a right way or a wrong way of doing it but a conscious way of doing it i think is the most important yeah uh, my final example of how my i gen 
personally I feel that this is not a well done activist character um, it's Rosalind, I've written the actress's name down rather than um, in The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina uh, obviously The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is not really concerned with activism and I absolutely applaud them wanting to have more inclusive issues in something that is predominantly something for teens mm-hmm. um, however what I feel that they've done with Rosalind uh, Rosalind is is black and she's also going blind at least at the beginning is mm-hmm. that they're kind of loading their representation onto a single character yeah not entirely but to a certain extent so that's not good but also she is the only real black character who gets to say very much in that sort of arena of Sabrina's life yeah so why is she only concerned with black issues that's I don't feel that's good representation either. That's like saying um, if you are part of a traditionally oppressed minority, then you can only be an embattled person with the world against them rather than, no, I care about this, but I also care about all these things as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, (laughs) It's this idea that, you know, also activism is an entire, it becomes entirely your entire character. Yeah. um, Um, and there are people who are like that because, it, but again, I, I, I sort of think that that tends to be because they're searching for something more than anything else. Yeah. I mean, um, I've, got, I've got to be honest, I've got lots of problems with the chilling adventures of Sabrina. Um, yes. But that's not to say it's bad. It's just a case of there are so many things that every time I sort of relax, it jerks me out of the flow of things. Yeah. And to be fair... Uh, yeah, I think we both. <laughs> we've been the same I gave way. up. <laughs> but so yeah, as we've said, you can absolutely tackle serious issues in your book. Um, yes. Don't put all the responsibility on one character to make any activism realistic. So yes. basically, also when you're you're trying to make it, if you're going to do activism, try and make it realistic. Don't do the end of Braveheart. Now Braveheart is not a historically accurate film, guys. <laughs> big spoiler what? alert there. but you get to the end of Braveheart and it's like and finally after fighting the English for however many years they won their freedom and it's like that is so not what happened dude <laughs> there were so many different political things that were involved in that and you know Wallace yeah absolutely harried the English but didn't really achieve a great deal other than the sacking of several towns and things. He was very much revenge motivated and he was also a nobleman. He was not exactly an oppressed minority himself. He may not have done anything if he hadn't had this revenge motive. He was being used as a tool. So it's that sort of thing, you know, check your, definitely check your facts. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so a couple of examples of things that get it right. Um, And in my opinion, when books and films get it right, the issue debated is essential to the story. And that doesn't mean that the story has to be entirely about that, but it's a major part of the story. Um, So one example for me would be the discussion of poverty and class in the Black Magician trilogy. Yes, I feel like they did get it right because particularly with Sonia, she initially starts very much with the why aren't you just helping thing. Yeah. Um, and she she's forced to kind of recognise the more complicated issues, but still comes to the conclusion of that doesn't mean that you can't help this. You know, while you're playing your political games, that doesn't mean you can't also provide other help 
and reconsider and shift things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, other ones that work for me personally, you've got um, Tamora Pierce's body of work, but you've got Alana, the lioness, Caladri, who becomes the first known female knight in 200 years or whatever. You've got Eile, who um, becomes a spy master. Basically, mm -hmm. what these characters are doing are they, they shine a lamp over the, the nastier issues of, of class distinction and also um, misogyny and racism and things. And the reason it works for me is they don't come out with a rousing speech and then everything is solved and then we torch the people involved kind of thing. Mm. It's a case of, no, we're not going to change everything overnight. You know what? The, the real work here is getting two groups of people who have the same end goal in mind but who have radically different ideas about who should get to deliver that goal yeah. to work together. And you know what? They're not going to like each other. They don't like each other. You're never going to make them like each other. But no. it's getting them to see that the benefit is the fact that we are all people and we do actually need that end goal to happen. Yeah. There may very... And this is one of the sort of the kind of the things that... Um, weirdly enough kind of plays into the hero's journey and why the hero's journey um now has like that sort of the feminine uh alternative which is you know the uh the heroine's journey the heroine's journey obviously being kind of put forward as um as a you know one of the the st the, the pupils who studied with um uh, Joseph Campbell suddenly saying this doesn't represent women um, and it was very particularly th at the end of the hero's journey there's this no one questions the hero uh, with their right to rule yeah no one no one sort of says anything no one comes against it you know there, there's nothing against that in that sense um, because it's just innate it's right and obviously what happened is that <laughs> I, I can't remember then her name off the top of my head but she suddenly went this doesn't reflect what it's like for women and in doing so was also basically saying this doesn't reflect what it's like for minorities um because it's not realistic to just say and then they came back and no one questioned them and that's that because realistically that's not what it's about and to just have a narrative Again, you can have a fantasy narrative where you do do that. I'm not against that. I'm not against someone just saying, actually, I don't want to have to deal with sort of these things. But if you're making a whole kind of feminist issue about it, um, yeah, it's just not going to feel particularly realistic. Um, whereas the sort of the, the heroine's journey instead focuses on the idea of there are still people who are potentially going to be questioning this heroine. Uh, despite what they've achieved um, but that's okay because they know where they stand yeah exactly they know where they stand they know um, and they have perhaps a group of people who are also with them and the emphasis is on isn't on immediate change but on the fact that something has shifted yeah and the thing that has shifted is is the most important aspect because things may not change necessarily within their generation but something has shifted and there are, might be a few people a few important people whose opinion has been changed and that is maybe going to mean that one day um these things are going to just, just shift over yeah um, and that's lasting change and you don't yeah. get react the big thing is you don't get the reactance if you try and change people's minds by saying this is what you must think 
what you yeah. get even if these people probably are going to agree with you is yeah. the pushback where people go well i don't agree with that because you are taking away my choice yes we really like our choices we do well we certainly like the illusion of choice so yeah and i've had it when people have said no you must think this and even though later on i've thought well actually i kind of agree with that point but not the rest of it mm. my initial knee-jerk reaction is well screw you yeah you don't tell me what to think yeah absolutely anyway do we use it in our own work i don't think i've got an activist character but most of my characters or my main characters at least do have quite strong um moral compasses yeah i i would agree with that um I think within, I sort of touched on it a little bit in the Hamartia cycle, where you have Yonathan, who, through what is really no fault of his own, is rather homophobic. Yeah. Um, and it's he's homophobic because that is the society in which he's grown up in. And when he's challenged about it in a kind of a, a gentle way, he's kind of made to rethink it. And I'll be frank... Um, he sort of figures out that maybe Rufus is not entirely straight by the end. He's not necessarily going to be very comfortable if he sees Rufus kissing someone. No. That that would probably, t and when I say Rufus kissing someone, I mean Rufus kissing a man, um, he'd probably be quite uncomfortable with it. It would probably be very much, yes, I accept it, but don't do it in front of me kind of thing. Um, and that's just because of how he was raised. Um, and, you know, after a little bit of acclimatisation, um, that might change. Um, yeah. But I wanted to represent that as a character show. This is that sometimes these kinds of opinions and these kinds of feelings are not the inherent they're therefore a bad person, but just they are a product of their society. Yeah, definitely. And I've I've actually seen, not obviously with Rufus, but I've actually seen that entire process happen in real life. Yeah. In my my sort of mid-teens, when one of our friends finally came out, <laughs> even though all of us had kind of worked it out already. Um, but we... And everyone was fine with it, but the lads were uncomfortable seeing him with his boyfriend in public until sort of the third or fourth time, by which point they were kind of like, eh. Yeah, absolutely. It was an adjustment period. So, I mean, immediately calling those people... Um, homophobic would have been really reductive because they're not they weren't they weren't even then it was just no, nothing had happened to give them a basis for comparison i think is the thing yeah absolutely um and it, to be honest it was the same because i know that <laughs> it's funny to think of myself as homophobic but you know that from school and stuff like that we used very homophobic language and stuff like that we you know we were kind of coded towards being that from a young age so i was i as a kid i was homophobic and i i think i've probably mentioned this in the past um but it was this kind of this moment of shock for me again this gentle sort of questioning that got me kind of spiraling from that point onwards yeah. was me suddenly discovering that Freddie Mercury might not have been straight. And this was during a time I really enjoyed Queen and I suddenly, I was shocked. And, uh, you know, I said to my dad, I said, but, you know, because I almost felt like, are we allowed to listen to his music, therefore? Um, because he was, he wasn't straight. That was my kind of thinking. And my dad looked at me and he just went, well, 
gay or straight, it doesn't affect that he wrote really good music, does it? And I suddenly went, no, I guess it doesn't. And then from that, I kind of went, well, I guess it doesn't really affect anything in my life. Oh, I, I suppose it, yeah, I, I guess there's nothing wrong with it then, is there? And it was, yeah. it kind of went from there. And it went from there to sort of being like, well, okay, I guess people can be can be gay if they want to, you know, I just, I just don't want to see it, to, well, I guess it doesn't really matter if I do see it, it doesn't really affect me, to, I think there's some things I need to examine about myself, <laughs> you know, to this yep. suddenly, this, uh, this whole kind of journey. And I think people can, you know, internalise a lot of that as well. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it, it is the Terry Pratchett, why not lead them gently by the hand because you'll get far more people to come with you than yes. if you drag them kicking and screaming. Yeah, absolutely. And the problem with obviously leading gently by the hand is that it's a slow process. Um, and when people are dying, uh, that sometimes people feel like, okay, we can't lead them gently by the hand because people are dying and we need immediate action. So obviously it's, it is a complicated thing. Um, but It is, but there are very few instances where so many people are dying. I mean, you're talking a major event where so many people are dying that you are not you haven't got time to do that process or at least initiate it as a background issue. Yeah, certainly. I think. That, yeah, I agree. But, you know, there have been situations like that. The AIDS crisis, um, people didn't really have time to be sort of saying, oh, well, that's just, you know... Yes, even the opposing viewpoint, even if you violently disagree with them, they will have something worth say, hearing. Even if yeah. what you hear is kind of like well i definitely don't agree with that there's the, you've got to take the emotion out of it in my opinion yes you've kind of got to understand why people are the way they are yes it's all very well being offended but <laughs> it doesn't actually achieve very much no um but it doesn't right before we go it is time for our dissecting dragons recommendation of the week um and i've actually got one for us if if that's okay okay um so i recently watched turning red i keep hearing uh, about that but i haven't watched it <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we recently uh we re recently watched it and i really enjoyed it now some of you um disney fans might have seen a while back there was a short little animated um, you know, sometimes they do these kind of little shorts ahead of the movies. Yeah. Uh, so there was a short one which sort of featured a, a Chinese woman who is making um, dumplings and one of the dumplings comes to life. And she, you know, she uh, she sort of raises this dumpling and then she kind of has this kind of crisis when the dumpling sort of grows up and she doesn't really want to let the dumpling go and in the end she actually eats the dumpling and then she's kind of horrified by what she's done um and then this is a dream and you realize that it's basically her coming to terms with her losing her son who's growing up essentially yeah. um and it's by the same director who did this uh and it's it's an unapologetic view of first of all um generational trauma which i which i'm always very interested in um, but also about uh, sort of cultural expectations um, and menstruation. Yeah. And one of the things I really like about it is that menstruation is usually treated as a joke, but kind of more like as the butt of a joke in that we're not actually allowed to kind of talk about it. 
And this is a different view of menstruation, which is let's joke about it because it's funny. Yeah. Um, and let's joke about it because it's funny and normalise it because we need to be able to talk more about it in a society. Yeah. Um, and I feel like they do it very, very well. Um, I think it's funny. It's a good film. Um, and it, the the thing that is really interesting is that they've got these characters who are such teenagers, like, but such tweens, as it were. Yeah. And they're written so accurately as tweens as well. <laughs> and I'm just there like, like, oh my god, they're so cringy. Yes, because <laughs> they are teenage girls. But very specifically tween teenage girls. Um, And there's this one very particular scene where one of the characters starts drawing um, sort of fan art of themselves, like fantasy kind of stuff of themselves, of guys they like, um, but, you know, as mermaids and, you know, stuff like that. And the art style, the way that it's all done, I was like, oh my god, <laughs> this, is, this is so much that era, so much that age. I felt it was done really, really well, um, and that the overall message was actually very, very strong in terms of saying we need to discuss and look at the experience of teenage girls um, and the expectations we have on them and into you know sort of generational trauma and stuff like that um i really enjoyed it so i really recommend it for anyone um who is uh yeah interested in that kind of thing cool yeah i've definitely been meaning to watch it so it's very funny boot that up to, <laughs> it's, it's more difficult for me to get to things and actually watch them than it is to read them but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get that okay And on that note, guys, we'll say thanks very much for listening and we'll catch you guys next week. Yeah, thanks and goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders. Or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.